0: Psalm 65. Let me briefly outline it for you before we read it, then I'll briefly comment on it. In the first four verses, the psalmist David gives us three reasons why the praise that he mentions in verse 1 is appropriate. In verses 5 through 8, David the psalmist tells us about God's great, noisy, intimidating, terrible events that the world calls nature, but we know that it's actually the hand and voice of God that executes thunderstorms, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, and other terrifying works. Then, in verses 9 through 13, the goodness of God... In his providence primarily of rain is set forth. And I hope that you will delight in the Lord with me as we go through this psalm. If you didn't get up yesterday morning and delight in the beautiful day that we had, what is your problem? Yesterday was glorious. We don't deserve it. It's pure mercy that he would do something so loving and so kind to us as to kiss us and embrace us. With such sunshine, reduced humidity, low temperature, clear skies, it was beautiful. But remember here in Psalm 65, verse 1 is going to tell us that we should come into his house ready to praise him. Verses 2 through 4 are going to list three reasons why. Verses 5 through 8 are going to describe some of his terrible events. And verses 9 through 13, his gentle events of providence, especially rain. Let us stand together as we worship the Lord with his word. Reading together in unison. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me, As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. By terrible things in righteousness, Wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength settest fast the mountains, being girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. Amen and amen. May the reading of the word of God be a blessing to him and to us. Amen. You may be seated. The reason that we come into the house of God, one of the great reasons is to praise Him, as the first verse describes. We should be looking forward to the first day of the week, every day of the week, so that we can get back into His house to praise Him. That is what it means when it says, Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. There is praise that's going to be coming. We're holding it back until we get to Zion which is his temple and where his worship was centered in the nation of Israel under the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's in local churches like this one. Praise waiteth for thee, O God. Yesterday, you should have been praising him with your lips out loud and in your heart, but at the same time looking forward to being in his house to praise him yet again. And unto thee shall the vow be performed, when we've been in trouble and the Lord's delivered us, when we've asked for his favor, and the Lord has granted us our petition, we should give the praise that we promised Him. Right. Now here are three reasons why God is worthy of being praised. And I'm not referring to the, the large tokens of verses 5 through 8, nor am I referring to the providential rain that puts food on our tables in verses 9 through 13. I'm referring to verses 2, 3, and 4. In verse 2, The God that we worship is a God that hears and answers prayer. Allah has never answered a prayer because there is no such God. Brahma, Vishnu, Rama, and the gods of the Hindus have never answered a prayer because there is no such God. The Great Spirit has never answered an, an Indian because there is no such God. Buddha has never answered a prayer because there is no such God. That fat-bellied, lazy man couldn't answer anyone. But our God is the God in heaven, and He answers prayer. Amen. And one of the reasons we want to praise Him is that we, man, woman, or child, can call upon the Lord in their time of trouble, or can call upon the Lord in their time of need, and He will hear. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. That is not all flesh without exception, but all flesh without distinction. There would be some from every nation. They would call upon the Lord of all kinds, rich and poor, high and low. Greek and Jew can call upon him, and they will call upon him because he's a prayer-hearing God. Verse 3, iniquities prevail against me. Sometimes our sins seem like they're going to overwhelm us. Sometimes the strength of our sin nature seems like it's too much for us, and so it was for the man after God's own heart, which should comfort you. Iniquities prevail against me, but look at the solution. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to bring your firstborn. You don't have to bring your estate. There's no blood to be shed. The Lord Jesus Christ has already paid for the forgiveness of all our sins. That's the second reason in that third verse. The fourth reason. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. Now we started with God's choice of us in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 earlier today. But notice here, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest, because God picks which men he's going to do the next verb of action toward, and causest to approach unto thee. It is God that so directs our hearts by an internal work of grace that causes us to want to be in his house. Oh, I've lived the other way before in my life. When I had to go to church, And when I had an option, when I got old enough to get away from good parents, then I didn't go if I didn't feel like it. Praise be to God. He's chosen me and He's caused me to want to approach unto Him in His house, that He may dwell in thy courts. It is the work of God. It is the work of God first to choose you, from among the 7.1 billion that inhabit this planet, then it is the work of God to cause you to want to love His worship. Otherwise, you'd be out golfing this morning, watching cartoons, or sleeping an extra four hours to ruin your life, instead of being here. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. Now notice, it's not punishment that God chooses us and causes us to come into His house. There's a blessing to be in the house of God and to worship Him. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. There is goodness and a blessing in worshiping God that can't be matched on the golf course or with cartoons or in bed. Even of thy holy temple. It's God's holiness and God's temple and the truth of that holiness that we come and worship and it satisfies our soul. For those of you that are older than 20 or 30 years of age, because you don't really know much about life yet, when you get older, and you're able to look back at your 20s and your 30s and realize how ignorant you were, and how you tried to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the things of this world, you'll understand the fourth verse. Until then, I'm sorry, you're going to have to believe God, and you're going to have to believe all the elders sitting around you. It is the house of the Lord that most satisfies the soul of God's elect. Of course, if God hasn't chosen a person or caused them to approach unto him, they hate being in the house of God. It's the most boring activity of the whole week, and that's why they don't come, or that's why they go to churches that will entertain them. Where they can come in their shorts and flip-flops and be drinking a Starbucks and have a praise band do all the work for them for about 50-60 minutes, then they get to go home. That's what happens. When they're not born again and God hasn't chosen them and caused them to fulfill verse 4. The emphasis of today is that if we have faith toward God and toward our Lord Jesus Christ, it is because God worked it in us. It is because God caused us to approach unto him. If he hadn't chosen or caused us, as we read in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, we would be like the rest. Because by nature, we are exactly like the rest. It is nothing in us by which God chose us or caused us to draw nigh to him, he has drawn us toward him. Bless and praise his holy name with me today. Now verses 5 through 8 describe his terror in his providence. By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us. When the people of God would ask for God to deliver them, God delivered. Can you think of the ten plagues upon Egypt? Those were terrible things. The world remembered them for hundreds of years. Right. The Philistines called to remembrance the plagues on Egypt 500 years later. They're described. The Philistines are described doing that in First Samuel chapters 5 and 6. By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us. Because he's a prayer-hearing God, and sometimes he does great and terrible things. He stopped the sun and the moon in the days of Joshua. He caused the walls of Jericho to fall flat. So that Israel just took, walked in and took the city. And on and on it goes. Throughout the pages of Scripture. O oh God of our salvation, because He hears our prayer and delivers us, even by some terrible things at times, but it's always done in righteousness because God is always right in whatever He does. And it says in the second half of verse 5 that this God, who is our salvation... Art the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are afar off upon the sea. Sailors when they're out there in a storm, and it's a terrible thing in righteousness when a storm comes up and you're in a boat. Even then there is a place to put your confidence. And it's not in the skill of the helmsman, and it's not in the design of the engineer. Ask the white line, shipping line out of England who sent the Titanic on its voyage a few years ago when the foolish sailor said even God couldn't sink this ship oh you should never speak that way because you're trying to compose famous last words for the God of heaven to get himself glory God is the confidence wherever we might be it goes in verse 6 to say that by God's strength he setteth fast the mountains now we've already had that word once that means he's fastened the mountains in one place and they don't move they don't move, being girded with power. Who's got the power? Mountains don't have power. God's got the power to put the mountains there. Verse 7, this great God with power as his girdle stilleth the noise of the seas. He can take a storm and reduce it to a great calm. The Bible tells us about that. When Jesus was asleep in the hole of a particular ship on the Sea of Galilee and a great storm arose, it calls it a great storm, Then Jesus, being called forth by his apostles who were afraid of the storm, rebuked the waves and said, Peace! Be still! And there was a great calm because the Lord is able to do that. So we put our trust in him. He can still the noise of the waves and the tumult of the people. Many times in the Psalms especially, the noise of the seas and the noise of the waves are put for the loud cryings of men. And so here... The psalmist puts them both together in the same verse. Verse 8, They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Japan, who has no fear of God at all, from the top to the bottom, from the east to the west, had a tsunami that devastated the coast of that island. Here it's called, They're afraid at thy tokens, because that tsunami was only a token of the wrath of God. Wait until God comes in judgment on this planet When the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that everything will melt with fervent heat, then you'll know the power of God. Verses 9 through 13 describe rain. Thou visitest the earth. You better be thankful God visits the earth or you would have nothing to put on your table. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Those are such tender words, such gentle words. Words that you should have thought of yesterday. If you took a walk yesterday morning, did you see how heavy the dew was? It was very heavy. Saturated everything on the ground. Yesterday morning, he waters it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God. God has a river floating above us right now. And if you ever do a study like our brother Jeff Oley offered to us on one Wednesday evening, if Greenville County, which has eight square miles, if Greenville County gets one inch of rain, you should go home and calculate how many cubic inches of rain there are on 800 square miles, one inch deep. Then add it up into gallons. There's eight pounds per gallon. And then figure out how many super tankers it would take in the clouds to drop that much water. Right. It's called the river of God. It is an incredible amount of water, and he holds it in vapor so that we can fly planes by which he gave us the witty invention of Bernelli's principle on those wings right through super tankers of water, and it doesn't slow them down. Praise his name. Praise his name. You know, there's a little bit splashing on their windows And they may have their wipers, but we fly right through it because it's in the form of vapor primarily. But then when he condenses it and drops it, it's called the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. That little adverb so means in the way that's just been described by sending so much water to nourish and saturate the earth. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Ridges don't hold much water because a ridge is a piece of ground that is raised up and the water runs off it. But with a slow, steady rain, God is able to water even ridges, even the little hills that this passage refers to. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. When a farmer plows his field, what is left from a plow is a groove in the dirt and the dirt that's been moved out of the way up in a little ridge. But with the gentle rain falling down, it evens the two out and saturates the whole thing. Thou settlest the furrows thereof, thou makest it soft with showers, thou blessest the springing thereof. And isn't it something how plants spring out of the ground? Thou crownest the year with thy goodness. Do you believe that? Has God done that to you? Has he put a crown on the years of your life? If you've been sinning against him and he's had to withhold his favor, that's not his fault. That's your fault. That's my fault. But when we're living for the Lord, and even when we're not, He is so merciful and gracious to us. He's crowned our years with goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness. This is God's path in the clouds, in the sky, in the rain. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. A little hill typically is going to have the water run off. But the gentle rain that we're talking about here, the soft rain, the soft showers, water even the hills. The pastures are clothed with flocks. They have so much to eat, they multiply and reproduce, and they grow from a small herd to a large herd or flock. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing because of the goodness and the happiness of prosperity. And yesterday morning, did the trees sing to you? Did they shout for joy? Did the few clouds in a very blue sky shout for joy to you? Did the sun shine? It was music. I wanted to share with everyone that I love, but I was alone on my deck walking back and forth, looking at that beautiful eastern sky and thanking the Lord for it. And I hope that we will have such thanksgiving this day. But let me reverse order before I sit down. God's gentle providence in rain, verses 9 through 13. Okay, we're thankful. We're very thankful. His tokens of His power, verses 5 through 8. We're even more thankful that He's merciful to us and preserves us and delivers us by the tokens of His power. Verse 4, He chose you and caused you to come into His house to find satisfaction for your soul in a spiritual way that cannot be had otherwise better yet. Then we move up to the third verse. He forgives us our sins. We move up to the second verse. He's a God that hears and answers prayer. This is Jehovah. This is our God. And we bless thee, and we love thee, and we thank thee for thy word, and we thank thee for the faith that you've put in us to believe your word. Thank you for giving us, David, to write such psalms for our hearts. Cause us to always remember these things, O Lord God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen.